0: Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood, a retired submarine officer. I'm also a private pilot, martial artist, engineer, and a lifelong fan of science fiction and fantasy. I've written and published dozens of stories across the entire spectrum of speculative fiction. So sit back, let your mind wander through realms of adventure as I tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood and it's story time! Woohoo! I'm a couple hours later than normal today. Normally I like to get things out at uh, noon on Monday's Pacific Time, but yeah, it was a busy weekend. It's Easter weekend, doing some stuff. Got a bit of sun at SeaWorld with the kids all day, which was cool. And uh, yeah, so I didn't get right on recording until now. So, it's now Monday afternoon, just after work. So, sorry. Sue me. Anyway, um, hey, kind of a cool event happened this week. Went, uh, right after I uploaded everything, I went and checked out podcast statistics. (laughs) We went over a thousand downloads for the podcast. Look at that. So, what, 28 episodes? is going to be 29, I believe. And a thousand downloads. Well, you do the math on that. It's basically like six months. And, uh, know, for some no-name schlub reading his stories, Bay I'm not going to complain about that. But hey, so thanks everybody for listening and for sticking with it. It's been pretty cool. Um, anyway, so today I'm going to do a, another short story. I'm not going to carry it out over three uh, three or more episodes like the last one. Uh, this one actually is called Measuring Up. Um, and if you recall a while back, I re- read my story, How or Not to Rescue a Damsel in Distress. Well, I liked that carrier, Larian. Thought he was kind of neat. So I wrote another couple stories about him, and this is the next one. Um, I always meant to keep on writing stuff about him, but I kind of fell off a few years ago. Probably should get it back to him at some point, point. and I will when the muse strikes me. But for now, I haven't been. Just got four stories with him. Anyway, this uh, it's about Tim when he gets to his first uh, his first army unit. Yeah. And we'll see what happens from there. Um, again, it'll just be me on professional reading. <laughs> More professional folks will be along soon, I, I promise. Um, that Gloomervale audiobook should be done anytime now. I know I've been saying that for months, but yeah, long story. Anyway, um, that's what I got. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute, and we'll read the story, and hopefully you guys did it. All right, one sec. Okay, measuring up by me, as always. The camp was set up near a narrow river in a wide field that allowed an easy line of sight for sentries to detect approaching visitors. Consisting of several hundred peak tents, each large enough to house probably four or five men, along with their equipment, and a single larger tent in the center, nearly a pavilion, no doubt for the commander and his staff, the camp was surrounded by an earthen wall behind a ditch that was filled with sharpened stakes to stave off an enemy's charge. There was but one point of ingress or egress readily visible, and that was guarded by a large wooden iron gate, and at least a dozen men who were easily visible. No doubt, there were a number more who were hidden. Larian reined in his horse, slowing to a walk as he approached the camp. A narrow wooden bridge spanned the ditch on the approach to the gate. It was a rickety-looking thing, and Larian suspected it was rigged to collapse in the face of an enemy onslaught. Though he was a novice at this game, it's what he would have done, so he had no doubt the camp's commander had thought the same. At the gate, a burly man in a shiny steel breastplate, with an insignia of a swooping falcon before two crossed swords engraved in the breast, the emblem of the citizen's army, raised a hand signaling Larian to stop. The man's face was only partially visible behind the vertical bars of a steel helmet, but Larian could see a puckered scar on the man's forehead that split his left eyebrow, suppressing a reflexive sympathetic cringe at the pain that wound must have caused Larian obeyed without question. "'State your business,' the guard said. Larian fished inside his satchel for a moment, then produced a folded piece of paper, sealed with a wax stamp bearing the shield and spear of the Marshal academy at Tel Seralon, and handed it to the guard." "'Larian, sir. reporting for duty, sir.' "'The guard looked the paper over, careful not to break the seal, and snorted. "'Don't call me sir, lad. I work for a living.' "'At a gesture from the guard, a pair of his companions behind the gate "'hauled on a rope, and the gate slowly began to rise. "'When it was fully open, the guard handed the paper back to Larian "'and waved him through. "'Check in with the master sergeant. Second tent on the left.' "'Larian nodded in thanks and heeled his horse forward.' camp was a bustle of activity. The loud clang of metal striking metal rang out from a forge off to the right. Messengers darted to and fro, cooks and serving men cleaning up for the morning meal. Platoons mustered in formation for drill. All these things and more assaulted Marion's senses as he rode into the camp. It was almost a city unto itself, except for the marked lack of females. The master sergeant's tent was larger than the others in its proximity, but not by much. A pair of horses were hitched at a post in front of it. Dismounting, Larian tied his gelding in place beside them, then ducked inside. The man-Larian presumed to be master, the master sergeant-sat behind a folding desk near the entrance of the tent. A man stood at attention in front of the desk, with another behind him and to his right at parade rest. The man at attention was visibly trembling. Larian blanched as an onslaught of angry words reached his ears. Two weeks extra duty, and if I ever catch you sleeping on watch again, "'I'll make sure the commander takes your head. Are we clear?' The master sergeant's voice could have been Deus's himself patching judgment at the last day for the authority and disapproval it carried. The man at attention nodded quickly, his trembling growing greater by the second. With a disgusted gesture, the master sergeant waved him out, and the man at parade rest grabbed the trembling fellow by the arm and dragged him from the tent.' Alone in the tent now except for the master sergeant, Larian found himself the sole focus of the latter's attention. Shortcut red hair going gray around the ears framed a hard face that was adorned by a tightly trimmed mustache and sharp green eyes. The master sergeant's uniform was impeccable, clean and neat, with every piece of metal polished to a mirror finish. Larian had to force himself not to wilt under the man's gaze. Right, who are you then? Larian swallowed and produced his orders again. Holding them toward the master sergeant, he greeted him in the same manner he had at the gate. The master sergeant took the orders and broke the seal, frowning as he read them through. Then, with a sigh, he looked back at Larian. Stand ease, son, he said, his voice becoming, if not gentle, at least a bit less stern than he'd used with the last fellow. Any trouble on your journey from the mainland? Larian shook his head. No, sir. Another snort. Not an officer, son. My name's master sergeant Joran Hildreth. "'Call me Master Sergeant or just Top. Everyone else seems to.' "'I answer only to the commander. "'My job is to make sure you're taken care of while you're attached to this unit "'and that you do your job properly.' "'He smiled, a gaff-toot grin that didn't manage to make Larian feel any more comfortable. "'Just think of me, the uncle, that no one ever wants to mess with, "'and we'll get along just fine.' "'Larian swallowed. "'Yes, Master Sergeant.' "'The Master Sergeant chuckled softly and returned his eyes to Larian's orders. "'Says here you are top of the class with the sword.' third with the bow, and they're pretty good on a horse. He looked back up at Larian. That's so? Larian nodded, an eager grin coming to his face. Yes, sir. I mean, uh, yes, Master Sergeant. Horse is tied up front. He jerked his thumb toward the tent's opening. Good. Master Sergeant set the orders down into a basket on the corner of its desk. Leaning back on his chair, he studied Larian for a long moment. You ever been in a real fight, son? Ever killed a man? Larian hesitated. There was that incident with the brigands, but no, he promised himself he would never mention that to anyone. He shook his head. No, mess sergeant. <clears throat> well, 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 you'll soon get the chance. I'm assigning you to the B Company scouts. They hang out tomorrow to check out the area east of the river, so you'll have to get settled in quickly. Larian smiled with pleasure. He'd had his eye on a spot with the scouts all through Marshall Academy. It seemed a far sight better than being an infantry grunt, or worse, an archer, so he pushed himself hard to meet their elevated entrance requirements. Master Sergeant, noticing his smile, stood from his chair and rounded the desk to stand in front of Larian. Don't be too happy, son. A scalp slide is hard, and there's a good chance it'll end at an unmarked grave. You ready to face that? Yes, Master Sergeant. He snorted again. <laughs> we'll see about that. Come on, I was meaning to expect B Company's messing this morning. I'll show you to the leader of scouts on the way. Larian followed the Master Sergeant to the far side of the camp, leading his gelding by the bridle. The master sergeant explained, as they walked, that the camp was laid out by quarters, with each of the four companies in the regiment camped in one quarter. The camp had four main walkways, leading to the command tent at the center, and secondary paths and concentric rings linked the four for easy access to any area. All the horses, equipment, and supplies for each company were kept near at hand, so even if one portion of the camp was breached, the others could mount an effective response. B Company was in the southeast corner, a walk of five minutes or so from the Master Sergeant's tent. When they arrived, the company was just completing the morning muster the various units dispersing to go about the day's work. The man the Master Sergeant approached was short and lean. He may once have been handsome, but the eye patch over his left eye and the scar that puckered the same cheek prevented it now. Master Sergeant cleared his throat and saluted, fist to heart. The man returned the salute in kind and greeted the Master Sergeant in a respectful tone. Morning, Master Sergeant. What can I do for you? Got a new arrival for you, lieutenant, he replied, gesturing toward Larian. The lieutenant's single eye had turned toward the young man and, narrowing, took his measure. He grunted. You're a Lola's replacement, huh? He was one of my best. Glad they didn't send us a total greenhorn to replace him. Larian blinked. He thought, sure, that was meant to be sarcastic, but the tone was completely serious. Gerald! A nearby man, broad and muscular, with a merry twinkle in his eye, turned toward the lieutenant and stepped forward. Yes, sir. Help, armsman, he looked at Larian and raised an eyebrow questioningly. Elisir, sir. The lieutenant continued, help, armsman, Elisir, get started, settled. I'll see you both at the ring in an hour. Gerald saluted and replied, aye, sir. Then he gestured for Larian to follow him. The company's horse line was their first stop. It was located near the camp's wall next to a fair-sized archery range. After logging in with the grooms, Larian tied his horse at the end of the line and hefted his belongings. His tent was a short distance from the horse line, in a row shared by the other scouts. From the look of things, he shared it with three other men, though they were nowhere to be found when Larian and Gerald arrived. Stack your gear in the corner for now, Gerald said as they surveyed the accommodations. You'll need to check in with the quartermaster and get scheduled to see the commander before we go to the ring. You'll have time to unpack this afternoon. What's the ring? Gerald grinned. The twinkle in his eye returning. Practice, lad. Practice? Ah, um, when am I to see the commander? Standard orders. Commander interviews every new man when he arrives in camp and before he transfers from another unit or leaves the service. Really? Is that normal? Gerald shook his head. No, this commander is unique in a lot of ways. Won't find a better man anywhere, though. That was encouraging. Larry ended her horror stories of bad COs during his time in the Marshall Academy. From what he'd been able to gather, the quality of the CO had a huge impact not just on whether a a soldier survived his stint in the unit, but also on a soldier's quality of life, which was almost the more important of the two. They found the commander's assistant in the entry room to the central tent. He was brisk and efficient. Within moments of their arrival, Larry found himself scheduled for an interview that evening after dinner. Quartermaster was not so efficient. It took most of the rest of their allotted hour to get Larian officially registered on the regiment's roll and requisitioned his scout's kit. Larian had the uniform, armor, and sword he'd been issued at the Marshall Academy, but he would need more than that. Eventually, they made it out of the Quartermaster's tent, the promises that his gear would be ready for pickup shortly after lunch. Walking back to his company's quadrant, Larian began to feel a bit anxious. He assumed that practice meant sparring or something similar, He'd seen a lot of that at the Marshall Academy, but it was different now that he was with his unit. He didn't want to put a foot wrong the first day. Gerald led him past the muster area and around a cluster of infantrymen's tents, easily identified by the racks of long spears outside each tent. The two men routed a corner in the walkway, and Larian saw the ring. It resided in a small clearing in the camp, maybe 40 feet across. The ring itself was about 20 feet in diameter, separated from the rest of the clearing by thin ropes strung between a series of posts, that were dug into the earth. A group of around 30 men waited in a loose gaggle in the clearing. The lieutenant was addressing them as Larian and Gerald walked up. Make sure you have your affairs in order and your next kin updated with the quartermaster. We leave at first light. The Larian spied Larian, The lieutenant spied Larian and Gerald, approaching and gestured Larian's way. Here's the new man. Armsman Elisir is Yola's replacement. Every eye in the clearing turned toward Larian. He swallowed... "'wanting to squirm under the appraising stares of the more experienced men, "'but he managed to keep his back straight and nod in greeting to his new comrades. "'Got a first name, lad?' I asked a grizzled man, older than the rest, "'by the re- good ten years or more. "'Larian, sir.' "'A soft chuckle rippled through the gathered scouts as the man smirked. "'I'm no sir, sir. "'Horace Mansfeld, platoon sergeant.' "'He reached out to clasp hands with Larian, and that became a whirlwind of introductions. "'Every man in the unit said hello in a rush.' Therein remembered maybe one name in three when it was all done, but it began to feel a bit better, more welcomed. Well, let's see what you're made of, Elisir, the lieutenant said once your were done. In the ring! The lieutenant gestured toward the ring. The platoon spread out around the ring as therein stepped beneath the rope boundary. On the far side of the ring from where he entered was a rack of practice swords, tightly bound bundles of bamboo that would leave a welt but cause no real harm. Therein took a moment to pick out one that closely matched the balance of his own sword, then moved to the center of the ring. The the master sergeant tells me that Elsir was top of his academy class with the sword. The man had another collective chuckle at the lieutenant's pronouncement. Giles, you're up. Giles, a lithe man who looked only a couple of years older than Larian, slipped under the rope with an eager grin and fetched a sword of his own. Larian stepped back a pace to give him room near the center and assumed a ready stance sword held loosely in both hands, with the tip pointed at Giles' eyes. Giles didn't bother settling into a stance. He came on in a rush. His sword seemed to dance, feinting left before cutting downward at Larian's head from above. Larian was taken by the feint and had to leap back and pivot about his forward foot to avoid being struck. His riposte was weak, a quick upward cut that Giles easily danced away from. Sensing the advantage, Giles attacked again, this time thrusting low toward the belly. Larian was prepared for this speed the second time around. He spun his body completely around, parrying the thrust aside and countering with the neck-level cut at the completion of his spin. Giles ducked into a roll to escape the cut, bounding to his feet with his back to Larian. Larian advanced, reversing his swing and cutting downward at the back of Giles' shoulder where it joined the neck, but again, Giles was too quick. Hopping to his right to avoid the cut and countering with a quick stab, Larian winced as the tip of Giles' sword poked him in the side just beneath the ribs. Up! shouted the lieutenant, and Giles backed away, planting his sword tip into the dirt. Larian followed suit. Crestfallen, he lowered his gaze. So much for making a good impression. Not bad, said the lieutenant, causing Larian to look up in surprise. The lieutenant smirked slightly, adding, Giles is the best blade in the platoon. Lasting three passes against him is not easy. With that, his gaze left Larian and moved to the rest of the men. Thoughts? That spin move looks fancy, but it leaves you wide open if there's another enemy around, Gerald offered. A chorus of agreement followed. Giles shook his head in disagreement. "It worked. Can't argue with the results. His mistake was assuming he had a free shot just because my back was turned. He committed too much to that attack and couldn't recover in time." "Agreed," said Sergeant Mansfield. Lieutenant nodded. "Right then, another pass." So it continued for the rest of the morning. Larian faced Giles twice more and lost to him both times. Then the lieutenant rotated other men in. At first, he fared better, besting his opponents more often than not, but as the morning wore on, he grew more and more tired. By the time the lieutenant ended the session for lunch, Larian was soaked to sweat, breathing heavily. His arms and shoulders were like lead, and he bore a number of stinging welts all over his body. He'd never faced that many opponents or sparred for such an extended period of time. He felt ready to collapse in a heap. That there is just a hint of what battle feels like. "'the sergeant said as Larian stepped gingerly from the ring. "'Course in battle, there's no stopping for lunch. "'No stopping at all until the fight's done. "'Not if you want to live.' "'He raised a meaningful eyebrow, "'then turned and walked away toward the men's tent. "'Lunch itself was nothing special, "'a venison stew and hunks of bread washed down with water, "'but it was boisterous, filled with conversation "'and good-natured joking between various members of the unit. "'Gerald set Larian down in the center of the table, "'and before long his comrades were peppering him "'with questions about his background.' They were eager, particularly eager to hear about and his girl, back home. That led to trouble. he just finished describing her when one of the other scouts named Harlan quipped, Sounds like a choice piece of ass there. That struck too close to home. Larian recalled being tired, helplessly watching the brigand leader fondling her as he called her the same thing and promised to make Larian watch while he had his way. White hot rage filled Larian, and he stood from the table, his fist clenched. Conversation stopped. Harlan looked taken aback, then his eyes narrowed. "'You want to fight me, boy?' "'You take that back right now, or...' The sergeant, sitting quietly in the table, brought his fist down onto the tabletop hard enough to knock over several cups. The loud sound drew every eye as he rose from his chair. Casting a baleful gaze on Larian, the sergeant barked, "'That's quite enough of that foolishness. Sit down, Larian. Now!' Larian ground his teeth, but complied. The sergeant turned to Harlan and continued, "'Harlan, you best apologize, and learn to guard your tongue.' Harlan glared at Larian for a long moment, then shrugged. Sorry. Didn't mean nothing by it. The rest of the lunch was more some dude, or at least Larian enjoyed it less. He felt more than a little stupid about the whole incident. When they left, Harlan gave him a hard stare, but didn't say anything. Great. Last thing Larian needed was to make enemies here. After lunch, Gerald left him back to the quartermaster, where he signed for and was issued the rest of his gear. Then he was back to his tent where he'd met the man he'd be bunking with. To his surprise, Giles was one of them. The others were Hearn, a muscle-bound and blonde with a huge nose that didn't fit his face, and Powley, who was quite possibly the largest man Larian had ever seen. All three seemed good-natured and welcomed him with grins as they unpacked his gear. The three of them, along with Gerald, spent most of the afternoon teaching Larian some of the specialized tools and techniques the scouts used. In the Marshall Academy, he had learned basic hand signals that all soldiers used, but the scouts had an entirely separate vocabulary of gestures. Simple, but there were a lot of them. By mid-afternoon, Larian had a few of them down, but he was far from confident with what he'd learned. Then there was the cipher and the care of pigeons. His comrades explained that every scout unit traveled with a number of the birds in case the unit found information that needed to get to the commander quickly. The cipher was specially developed for writing those messages, and Larian was expected to memorize it. Between these two topics, he began to feel overwhelmed, and he said so. His comrades reassured him, though. That he wasn't expected to know it all immediately. It would be months before the sergeant or lieutenant would task him with writing a message. All the same, they would expect him to study every day and log his study time with the sergeant until he had mastered both the cipher and the gesture language. Dinner was much like lunch, even down the food, except there was ale instead of water. When dinner was over, Gerald led him back to the commander's tent. The assistant greeted him with a grunt, then waved him into a chair to wait for the commander's summons. Gerald clapped him on the shoulder, then left to see to other duties, and Larian sat down. Fifteen minutes passed, then four men in officer's uniforms stepped through the tent flap leading into the main area of the tent. Larian stood quickly, coming to attention, but the men didn't notice him, engrossed in conversation among themselves as they were. A moment later, they were gone, and another man stepped into the entry room. Of average height, with thinning black hair and a slight build, he wore a simple soldier's uniform, indistinguishable from Larian's own, except for a golden epaulette on the man's right shoulder. Anything else tonight, Tommy?' asked the man. The, The assistant gestured toward Larian. "'Armsman Elisir is here to check in with you, Commander.' "'Ah, yes, our new scout.' commander looked Larian over for a moment, then said, "'Come on in, son.' Larian followed him into the next room. Well appointed, with rich carpeting on the floor, a sturdy desk along one wall, a number of folding chairs along the periphery, and a medium-sized table that was covered in maps and other documents in the center of the room, it was a place of business, not of leisure. The commander sat down behind his desk and gestured for Larian to sit as well. He obeyed, pulling one of the folding chairs over in front of it. "'It's Larian, right?' He nodded. Well, Larian, I hear from Lieutenant Pallock that you're cunning with a sword and have the endurance of an ox. It's high praise coming from him. Larian blinked in surprise at the unexpected compliment. The commander chuckled, no doubt seeing the surprise on his face. You'll find the lieutenant is sparing in praise, but you'll know it when he doesn't approve of what you've done. The commander clasped his hands together atop the desk and leaned forward, peering into Larian's eyes intently. Now then, why are you here? "'It's war on, sir. It's my duty.' The commander snorted loudly. "'Your little village never had dealings with the Martaban and probably never will. "'So why'd you come halfway across creation to fight a war that won't affect your home?' "'The nation's my home, sir, not just the village.' "'Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what? That's not why you're here, is it? "'Sir, I don't... You're here for adventure. Maybe a hint of glory, yeah?' "'I suppose maybe that had crossed my mind. Of course it did. "'All young men feel the same call.' The commander pointed a finger at him as he continued. "'But there's no room for that here.' Go off seeking glory and excitement in this business, and you'll end up dead. You can't afford that, and neither can I. Expect a lot of my scouts. You're my eyes and my ears out here, and this regiment will live or die based on the information you bring, or fail to bring. So I need you to be on the ball pro- and professional at all times. that understood? Larian nodded hurriedly. Good. Now, tell me about yourself. For the next 20 minutes or so, the conversation centered on Larian's past. His home village, his parents, Rosslyn, his time at the Marshall Academy... Commander was very engaging and genuinely seemed interested in Larian's story, so he found himself telling more than he expected. Held back from talking about the brigands again, it was just a little bit too embarrassing. Finally, the commander glanced at the small clock. A clock! On his desk, and grunted. Well, it's starting to get late. You've had a busy day, and tomorrow's shaping up to be busier. General Staff thinks those Marsaban bastards are going to move into our sector soon. If that's true, I'll need you and your unit at your best. Go get some rest. Larian stood and saluted. Thanks for your time, sir. Thank you. Monitor, serve with you under my command, Larian. Do me proud. Larian walked out of the tent, feeling a mile tall. Gerald was right. The commander was a great man, and Larian felt fortunate to be in his unit. Back at his t- unit's camp he found his tent mates, as well as a few other men, engaged in a game of dice around the fire. Giles waved him over to join in, but Larian refused with a polite smile. It had been a long day and he was exhausted. Stepping into the tent, he stripped down to his small clothes and slid into his bedroll. He remained awake for a while, his thoughts drifting to the next day. He expressed a mixture of excitement and anxiety over their mission. It would be good. Well, it might be bad. It would be what it would be. But for the time being, he was content that he was in a good place. His last thoughts as he drifted off to sleep was to wonder what Roslin was doing. And make a short prayer to Deus that he would survive the war to see her again. Well, there's that. I hope you liked it. Um, as with most of the stories I've read for you guys, it's been a few years since I've actually looked at this one. Yeah, I wrote a while back, and uh, obviously it's been published online in a couple of places. put I put it in a couple of uh, compilations of short stories and such, but I haven't really gone through and read it in a while. And reading it now, it's like, okay, yeah, I, I like Larry. He's yeah. kind of a nifty guy, but. Uh, this one clearly is like a chapter one story it's yeah okay it closes out the day so it's a story of his first day so a closure in that sense but it doesn't really close out per se so obviously this is just an intro kind of thing um the next story about Larian that I wrote called First Blood that's, uh, that's more tightly I think as I recall it's been the losses since that looked at it too as I recall that's been more that's more tightly together in the fourth one grandfather's pendant is definitely self-contained and it works quite well this one definitely is just a lead, is a lead-in although hopefully I like I have like to think that it's enjoyable um, but clearly there's more to his story which was my intention my intention was to write a whole bunch of stuff about him and I fell away from that I really should get back to it <laughs> that's what I said before anyway I hope you liked it uh, let me know. There's all kinds of ways to let me know. Go by my, michaelkingswood.com. You can, there's a contact page where you can send me an email. Uh, go to the, I have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash michaelkingswood, where you can uh, say hi there. I have a Twitter account. I almost never use it because I just kind of don't like Twitter. Um, I have a Patreon account, uh, patreon.com slash michaelkingswood. Um, and... Uh, you can contact me there and occasionally throw a buck, you know, a buck or two a month. Hey, that wouldn't be so bad if you like what I do and want to hook a brother up with some bucks. Other way to hook a brother up with some bucks is go by my store at, at uh, ssnstorytelling.com shop and you can buy any story of mine that you, that you want on electronic or paper or audio for the ones that are available in audio that I can sell. I have several out there that are under exclusive deals. In fact, the professional audio recording of this story and all my literary and stories are still exclusive with uh, Amazon. So, you know, I can do other recordings like this, but I can't use that one anywhere but on Audible, Amazon, iTunes, through Amazon's program there. Um, I'm not doing exclusive with anybody for anything, for any reason anymore, but... I've got a couple more years on those till they come out of their exclusive window. Anyway, um, anyway, so what was I going to say? Anyway, on my site there, you can get anything I put out that you like and want, and uh, it earns me more money than if you bought it through Amazon or Barnes Noble or another store or Kobo or your local place. If you find my order my paperbacks through them, uh, because you cut out the middleman. All I got to do is pay. PayPal patent fees, Stripe fees, cryptocurrency transfer fees, and I get the rest. So as opposed to first for a story like this one, Amazon or Barnes Noble or the other places, you'll get 35 or 40 percent of the dot the 99 cents that you are charged for so the source story. I would get like 35 to 40 cents on it. Whereas you do it back to my, to my site, I get about 90 cents for it. So it's like, hey, so much better, and for me. And for you too, because you get the satisfaction of knowing that you better helped out the artists that you like. <laughs> anyway, even if you don't want to buy the stories, please uh, leave leave uh, want to go leave comments and reviews about the the podcast and the videos, uh, and, and tell people about uh, this silly guy that you're listening to, and spread the word. That would be just as awesome. Regardless, let me know what you uh, think about it. Love love talking to folks and. Uh, I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. That'll do it for this episode of Storytime with Michael Kingswood. Come by my website, michaelkingswood.com for information about my work. There, you can sign up for a newsletter where I tell about new releases and special promotions. Guaranteed to be spam-free. Or just drop me an email at at michaelkingswood.com and I look forward to hearing from you. If you really like my stuff, and feel like giving me a buck? Drop by Patreon and sign up to be a patron. As always, if you like today's story, be sure to leave a review on your favorite online bookstore and share this podcast with all your friends. This production is copyright Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby. Licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.